Hello, and welcome to The Fast and the Fictitious. This podcast series is produced and recorded by high school juniors and seniors producing a college literature credit from Sewella Technical Community College in Lake Charles, Louisiana during the fall 2023 semester. The course itself is live streamed five days a week to seven different area high schools as one of Calcasieu Parish School Board's virtual instruction program dual enrollment courses. The idea behind this podcast is for students to have a discussion about big ideas or big issues. Each episode has an anchor text, a short story from a variety of authors, ranging from Ernest Hemingway to Kate Chopin to David Foster Wallace and everyone in between. Using the short story as a guide, each pair of students touch on a variety of topics. Sometimes they do a little critical analysis of the assigned text. Often they talk about larger social or personal issues. In each case, the discussion is open and honest. The hope is that these students will have thought deeply about the issues and topics and that the current and future listeners, whether students or not, will gain some insight into the anchor text as well as do a little self-examination of their own lives, thoughts, and feelings. In this episode, Trent and JC discuss the story, Where Are You Going, Where Have You Been? by Joyce Carol Oates. In addition to their analysis, they discuss topics such as the good and bad of parental control, how we can become more aware of and appreciate the people in our lives, the dangers of social media, why we compare ourselves to other people, the effects on mental health when we compare ourselves to false internet idols, lucid dreaming, how much teenage rebellion is normal and natural, being self-aware, how easy it is for us to seek negative attention, how parents unknowingly contribute to sibling rivalry, how well the school system prepares students for life, and more. We hope you enjoy. All right, everybody, welcome back to The Fast and the Fictitious. I'm here with JC, um, another senior, and um, we're here to talk about where are you going, what have you, where have you been, um, which is basically a story about this girl, Connie, is like sneaking out from her parents' house, and she's being, how do you say that, irresponsible? Um, she's kind of like looking for like independence, I feel like, and kind of like turning her back against her parents to get kind of like what she wants. But what she seems to realize is that her parents are a big part of her life and she needs them a whole lot for sure. Yeah, I feel like a rebellious phase is another good way to think about it. I couldn't think of the word. Um, but yeah. One of the things that I wanted to touch on, like, first and foremost, was what do you think about limits on teens' freedom? Um, that's a big thing. Um, my parents, personally, are kind of strict, and I think that it has helped me because it's like, okay, now I know, like, my limits and what I should and shouldn't do. And I think some teens, like, that don't have that, uh, find themselves in bad situations and in bad groups. So I think it's a super big, you know, um, I guess it's a, it's like an action that is like beneficial for teens. I 100% agree. Um, my parents are relatively strict as well. They 
need to know always like what my plans are and stuff. Um, but for me, I feel like it's just given me a good kind of way to experience the world and find a way to be responsible, but also experience new things as well. Um, one thing that like I noticed about the story is like when it was written, uh, it was written in 1966 and it was actually inspired by Arizona murders. So I think it was, it's like really weird that it's talked about way back in 1966 and we still see this on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, especially whenever, like, especially in the 80s and stuff, kids had a whole, whole lot more freedom than they do now. So I don't even know how much freedom it was back in the 60s. So realistically, I'm not even sure if the parents would have cared if she was going out with her friends. Yeah. Um, Which I think is kind of crazy is that the whole reason that the Arnold Arnold friend or whatever uh, finds her is because she went out with her friend and was kind of like left alone. And I think that that sparked the interest of this guy to show up to her house and things like that. And um, so I think that those limits that we talked about earlier is one of those things that if she was limited on where she could have been, that could have saved her from the situation. Exactly. Like if she would have had a person there to help her stay with her and just keep her safe, then she might have not been in that same situation that she would have been in. Absolutely. Um, For me, like, what do you think the central conflict is? I think the central conflict is internal within Connie to decide whether or not, A, she should help her um, family whenever Arnold talks about um, how he's going to get her family whenever they get home. And it's also within herself to determine whether or not what she was doing was wrong because she only really started thinking what she did was wrong whenever Arnold started showing up and mentioning all the bad things that she had necessarily, or I say bad, um, sneaky things that she'd been doing. Yeah, um, I think that it like really sparks her like feeling of need in like her mom and her dad and like her family, like even her sister, I feel like she felt more comfort if they were there. And I think that she starts to realize like, wow, like I really do depend on them a lot. And instead of being independent and doing all that, she should have really seen like her family and seen how they helped her and should have went with her family with to her like aunts or whatever. So I think that's a big thing as well. Exactly. Because in the beginning, she's really just not appreciative of her family at all. She thinks her sister's the favorite, and so she resents her a little bit for that. Which, what do you think about, like, in society, how we'll just sort of naturally um, compare ourselves to others? Um, That's a big thing, Um, especially with social media now. uh, You see, I guess, especially females um, comparing themselves to people in magazines, people 
on the internet that post themselves. And what a lot of teens don't realize is that the internet only sees the good. They don't see the ugly that's behind closed doors. And I think it's really important to notice that because nowadays mental health is a huge thing. And I think that teens find themselves in bad mental health when they go and compare themselves to those kind of people. Exactly. I've also sort of been um, previously, like I've compared myself to different influencers and stuff just based on the way they've looked, just like if there's a bodybuilder or something. So I've been like, dang, I for real need to bulk up. But uh, it just sort of gets you into this headspace of like, oh, I should be this way. I should be that way. And I feel like social media has really just wrapped that up a whole lot because previously, like the only people you would really see is people either on TV or your friends. So you didn't have as much of an easy access to millions and millions of other people and seeing them at their best. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that there's a lot of symbolism in this story. Uh, for instance, uh, Arnold's car, I think that really shows like his character because he himself kind of like a weird vibe and something like un like not necessarily seen often. And his car describes that to a T. Like it just doesn't make sense in the world that we live in today, nor do I think it would make sense in the world in nineteen in 1966. So I think that so like the author does a good job at using symbolism in such ways as that. Exactly. And um, it's said in the story that his car is like a really old, like beat down car and it's got a bunch of dents in it. And then there's like spray paint over the dents saying like, woman did this and stuff like that so that just shows us off the bat before he even well not before he says a word because we hear him talk earlier in the story but before we really get to know him um what he thinks about people um one other thing that i would like to ask is how do you feel about ellie in the car i feel like ellie could have been a symbol for like people who just stand by and watch as bad things happen because Ellie just sort of sits there with the boombox or whatever. And he just is sitting there watching Arnold just do his thing. And he's not really doing anything to stop him or help him either way, which like, so of course it would have been worse if Ellie did help him because it's a horrible thing that is happening. But then we also would have at least gotten a little bit more characterization for Ellie. Cause we really, all we know about him is he's wearing glasses. He's at least partially deaf. I think Arnold says, and then he's just sitting there in the car. We don't really know anything about him. Yeah. Um, another thing is the fact that these are older men and they portray themselves to be 18. And I think that, that's a big thing in the world nowadays because people can hide behind a screen and say, oh yeah, this is my age. And instead of it actually being their age, they could be 68. I mean, you know, you never know. And I think that it's kind of crazy that the story relates to the world today. 
Exactly. And especially with people showing off their whole lives on social media now, it could be so easy to catfish somebody, just screenshot a few pictures, and then, ooh, now I'm a completely different person. It is really just a dangerous landscape we live in with social media. Yep, absolutely. Um, just thinking of something. Um, have you ever heard of lucid dreaming? Yes. So for the listeners that don't know what lucid dreaming is, basically it's a dream where you can, you know you're in a dream and you can physically do things by your own free will. And there's a really big debate with this story about if Connie is dreaming all of this stuff happening with Arnold in the end. Um, So do you think it was a dream or no? Um, there's parts of it where it's like, I think that it was a dream, but like, also there's parts that it's like, okay, wait, like that doesn't seem like it would be in a dream. Um, but the parts where like Arnold like knows all of her background and all of this, I feel like those parts are like her daydreaming almost in a way. And it's like, oh my gosh, she knows every bit of me. Like, I don't, I don't have any control of this situation type of thing. Um, I also, there's one part where she went to like on the phone and everything and she could hear like, I don't remember what it was. It was like screaming or something or roaring or whatever. And I think like that part is a dream because it was almost like in that moment, like it was such a heated moment. She was daydreaming of the roaring because she couldn't figure out how to like dial the number and get a hold to the people. Yeah, and um, the reason I brought up lucid dreaming is because I'm pretty sure I've heard that people who do lucid dream, whenever they don't realize they're in a dream, their dreams become, like, even more um, surreal. Like, everything seems super accurate around them, but then there's just a couple things that freak them out in the dream. So that's what I was thinking with the him knowing all about, all about their family and stuff, was that it could be, like, her subconscious sort of feeding this fictitious character in her dreams like dialogue and it could just be him spewing out information from her own brain yeah that's a really good point i mean it makes sense for sure uh the only the only thing that like is telling me oh no it's not a dream is because it was like kind of based off of a true story which has like really touched me in a different way because it's like now I think in my head as a teenage girl, that could be me as well, you know? So for it to be based off of a true story, I think that I feel like it's not a dream, but I also see your point where it could be a dream. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a big thing going around social media right now, or previously, that has pretty much said that strict parents make sneaky kids. Which, what do you think about that? Um, I think it depends. Um, if it's strict to the point where you can't do anything at all, I do think that kids like to rebel. Um, and almost in the same way as Connie, it's not like her parents controlled her, but it was like she couldn't go out if she was at home. She had to go out when she was at a friend's house or things like that. And 
I think a lot of kids rebel because they feel like, okay, this is my only chance to go out. This is, I'm going to do everything in one, one night, you know? Um, I think I see that a lot in person now. Uh, my friends, things like that, peers around me, I definitely see it quite a bit. Um, but I do think like strict parents that are more informative rather than, no, you can't do this. It's no, you can't do this because of this. And I think that helps. And so not necessarily strict parents make sneaky kids, but I think depending on how the strict comes out is going to depend on if they're sneaky or not. Yeah, I agree with a majority of what you've said, but I think that and the biggest thing is, like you said, how if the parents are just straight up, no, you can't do this, you can't do that, or if they're like, oh, well, I think, or I see this kid's parents that you're wanting to go hang out with, and they let their kid drink and drive and do this, that, and the other, and we don't want you doing that. So then if they at least give reason for their kid not wanting or not being able to hang out with someone else or do something, then I feel like that just gives their child a realistic um, boundary and know where they stand as long as they can also still go do things. Absolutely. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, so do you think like non-strict parents create sneaky kids? I feel like non-strict parents or non-strict kids who have non-strict parents don't need to be sneaky. So they just end up being, for lack of a better term, menaces, just doing whatever they feel like, just going out and drinking and doing whatever they feel like. So then at that point, they don't even become or learn what responsibility is. So then they can't really become a productive member of society. Um, to me, I think that non-strict parents don't allow their kids discipline, which is a critical thing in life, because if you don't discipline your kids, how are your kids going to discipline themselves when it comes to, for instance, schoolwork, um, showing up to a job, things like that? If their kids can't become disciplined because they've never been taught discipline, I think that they lack that and that they use it to their advantage and like you said go out and party drink and do whatever they want without like their parents knowing it doesn't matter because my parents don't care or things like that and I think that it becomes a sad world because if my parents didn't care I would be I would be a pretty sad person you know because it just doesn't give you that sense of love and I think that stricter parents that care show that love through hey, like, I'm telling you no because I care about you and I don't want you to get hurt. Exactly. Like, they show their love through making sure you're safe and staying within a reasonable, um, like, place and not doing incredibly stupid things. And I feel like that also is a part of it for people with non-strict parents is, like, a part of what they do is trying to get their parents to care about them and not mm -hmm. just be like, oh, yeah, go do whatever, get out of my hair. And I feel like that is just a really 
bad way of parenting in general. But uh, the only other thing I wrote down is abduction. But I don't know where I was going with that. I mean, today we see not really a lot of abductions, or at least we don't hear about it on the media. But I feel like it's still a big enough problem that people need to watch out. And it's not just like, oh, it'll never happen to me. I don't need to worry about it. So I'll let my kids just go out and do whatever. Like they should still, someone should still be, at least have, know where the kid's at in case something bad does happen. So that way they could be like, okay, yeah, I'm going to pick you up. I want to do this. Yeah. Um. What I, what I think personally about, abductions and things like that and like um it's it's just like being self-aware of like your surroundings is a huge thing and I feel like if parents are like non-strict and think that way that oh yeah it's not gonna happen to me or my kids like you know they don't teach their kids to be self-aware of their surroundings and like personally if I'm in the dark by myself I definitely check underneath my car before I get in it um not that that's going to save me or anything, but I do it. And it's just like making sure I'm cautious of what I'm around because it protects me in like the long run and things like that. And I think this story like does a good job of telling that Connie didn't know what her surroundings were when she went out and she didn't even, she didn't even remember the man. Like she slowly started to see, okay, like, yeah, that's, he definitely was there, but she didn't really remember him at first. Um, but I do think that when he showed up to her house, she realized, oh, my gosh, this is a bad situation. Um, so I think that if parents start to teach their kids, like, hey, yeah, be be super aware of your surroundings. Look out for this, this, and this. Um, I think that it will help, like, young adults, teens, things like that realize like okay that's a trap that's a that's a trap and find ways to avoid those things yeah and I feel like a part of that also brings into question like how old someone should be to get a phone because a lot of the times I see even like young adults just sitting on their phones not paying attention and then they like almost walk into traffic and stuff so I feel like people should really just in general be more aware of their surroundings, not even necessarily because of abduction or anything like that, but just to know the situation that they're putting themselves in and to make sure they're not putting themselves in danger. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I definitely think that's a big thing. And I think that abductions are more and more common each day. And like I said, or like we've both said, social media is a big role in that. And even abductions, like in person, that's not even a big thing. It's the abductions from online. Like, hey, I added this person off of Snapchat and now I'm talking to them and they're going to come pick me up. Well, do you really know who that is kind of thing? So now there's not only regular trafficking, but there's cyber trafficking as well. So I think that a lot of parents don't realize that and it's so 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 real in the world today and um i think this story does like a great job at like portraying what the world has to come because 
it kind of shows like, hey, these things do happen and they've happened since the time this story is wrote, like was written and then it's still happening today. Yeah, the author was definitely ahead of her time and whenever she wrote this and I wonder if she just thought about like, oh, this is probably what's going to happen or if she just wrote it and then signed off and said, hey, this, be aware. Do you think there's a correlation with children being given a lot? This was what it was. Okay. <laughs> um, so with the kids having a lot of freedom, do you think that correlates directly to whether or not they're good in school? Or do you think that a kid can have a lot of freedom yet still be decent enough in school? to have a real future? Um, I think it really depends on the personality of the person. Uh, because like me personally, and it may just be because I have strict parents and I don't realize it, but it's the fact that like, I want that for myself rather than for my parents. Uh, now, could they have sparked that interest in me? Most likely, yes. Uh, so I strive to get good grades and it's if they ever like check my grades and they're like, hey, you're missing this. It like really makes me frustrated because it's like, hey, look, uh, I know that I have that. Like I still want an A. I'm working for my A and I get frustrated very easily. But I can see how like someone who has complete freedom has no like work ethic to go and make good grades because what does it matter? because it doesn't get them attention at home in the first place. So I think that they make bad grades so that they can get attention. Um, but either way, I think that it could or couldn't affect someone just based off of personality. Yeah, I agree. Because I feel like a lot of the times whenever we see kids who don't have very strict parents, either it, I feel like it's always on one end of the spectrum. It's never somewhere in the middle. They either have really good grades and they're like straight A student because they are looking for recognition for that and trying to get good attention from their parents or they just don't care and they think school's a waste of time. So then they just don't do their work or whatever. So then a lot of the times that's how they get their attention. And I feel like that also comes back around to if you have a really just hands-off parenting style where you just let them do whatever, I feel like they don't learn any discipline or like at learn what consequences are for things because then whenever they grow up and if they graduate, then they could really just go off and do whatever they feel like. And if they don't understand the gravity of their actions, and how bad the consequences could or uh, will be, then that'll just end up ruining them in the long run because they won't understand, oh, wait, I shouldn't go out drinking with my friends and be disorderly just to get attention from them because then I might end up having to pay a fine or spend a couple nights in jail or whatever. Yeah, I totally agree. Um... It's really like sad to see, uh, but I think it's a real life situation and I think many people should like see how things are happening nowadays. What do you think 
Okay, do you think that it's better for a child to have a direct structure, like a routine every day, like from very, very young all the way up into the uh, high school years? Or do you think at some point the adult should be like, okay, you're old enough now, you can kind of plan out your day, and then as long as you get your stuff done and all that, then I'll stay away? Or do you think that the parents should stay involved up until graduation or whatever? Um, I think that it's important to have a routine at the beginning of your life, but I do think that the parents kind of like pushing it onto the child itself uh, is very important as well because once you go off and graduate, you have to learn to do that on your own. And I think if parents to prepare their kids beforehand, I think it'll allow like students to have a knowledge of what to prepare for for when they go off by themselves maybe maybe 30 minutes away or maybe even four hours away or even more than that um they have to learn how to be self-independent and i think that if parents stay in their lives their entire time that it doesn't allow them to make mistakes and realize okay that was wrong like now i know what to do instead um so instead of making the kids learn that when they're four to eight hours away, I think that they should do it while they're still at home and let them make those mistakes and learn from it because we learn from failure. We don't learn from success. So I think that that's a big thing. Exactly. And like, if we have a little bit of like, a leash to be on and it just continues to grow then that allows us to learn okay if i feel like going out and staying up late but i have something in the morning then oh i'm gonna be groggy in the morning and that's not a good idea so i need to make sure i'm still being good on my whatever time i go to bed but if we just constantly have someone telling us in our ear oh you have something in the morning you have something in the morning then we're not going to understand that how it's going to really make us feel in the end if we were to have that choice of our own. And I feel like another part of that is learning real life skills and not just being in school and just learning, oh, algebra. Like, I feel like we need to learn more life skills and learn how to budget and stuff like that. That way, whenever we go move off, and stuff we don't have to just get like smacked in the face with having to learn oh i need to make this amount of money for rent and then this amount of money for water and uh, electricity oh but then i also have to make sure i get good grades in all my classes if i'm going to college and i feel like that's just can lead to a very stressful first couple of months or even years if, <laughs> uh, if the kid doesn't know how to realistically budget and manage time and stuff. Yeah, I agree. Um, teachers ask me now, they're like, oh, has the education system prepared you for college and everything? And they like to think, yes, yes, it has. They think, yeah, like you've taken so many dual enrollment classes, like this should prepare you so much for college. And I'm like, but wait, I don't know how to write a check. I don't know how to do my taxes. I don't know how to pay bills. I don't know how to do any of that. And I think that's where the education system really fails. Um, 
not only themselves, but us too. And I think that if they focused more on the kids and the well-being of the kids, that they would find that more kids would want to be successful rather than not really care. Because if they're looking out for the well-being of us after we graduate, it makes us kind of like open our eyes and see that, okay, they want the best for us and we will give them our best in return. Exactly. I agree with that. And I like how you put, um, you mentioned like, oh, school always asks us, hey, do you think you're ready for college because of what we've done for you? Which I think they make us ready for the classwork. Like we could take three, four dual enrollment classes and we could understand how to time manage that portion of our lives. But then after that, whenever we don't have bills to pay or have to write a check, for example, we just don't get that portion of that college life and what it's really going to be like. So I feel like school just sort of falls short in that regard. Yeah, I totally agree, for sure. This is off topic completely, but it just popped into my head again. Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift is definitely number one, Mr. Carlisle. So, and you can tell that one lady that I'm dissing her uh, <laughs> rankings. But, but I guess. Um, yeah um the only thing that i would have to add on is how well the story does and like describing everything that we've mentioned uh from strict parents to non-strict parents um i think that connie's mom really focuses on connie but like at the same time has no like intentions with connie and she kind of like favors the sister and i think that's what makes Connie like want to be independent because she's like oh yeah she's the favorite like mom doesn't even like like me but at the same time I feel like she likes me because I'm pretty so I feel like that's why she is the way she is and like wants to be even more prettier and like they said she has a habit of like looking at herself in the mirror and things like that and I think that it really shows like the parents caring and loving and show how their care is loving the child and so like that's one way that the story really connects to what we've talked about um if you want to add on you can i definitely think that on one hand the parents like uninvolvement with connie sort of <laughs> creates the whole situation of the story but on the other hand i don't think that june was really a favorite where Connie was because of her looks. I feel like a part of that was also maybe the author trying to get it into our minds that maybe Connie's not always a reliable narrator. Maybe she just is a teen, so then she thinks that June was the favorite just because that's a natural way to think because she was always comparing herself to June and how she was in high school or at 15. So then Connie might have been like, oh, well, I have worse, or for example, I have worse grades than what June had, so then they must like June better, and June's off doing great things now, and I'm still just in high school, so they must like her better, when in reality, the parents could have just existed and not really picked a favorite, but it could have became that way in uh, Connie's mind. Yeah, I agree. 
Yeah, I agree. Um, I do think like the parents kind of influence it just because they're like, yeah, like what June's wearing or what June did or what. And I think that a lot of parents do fall short in that aspect where they're like, oh yeah, like comparing instead of like me comparing myself to someone else. I think that a lot of parents compare their children, which is like not a good thing at all because it's like, oh yeah, like she did this today. And it's like, oh wait, but I did this too. And you don't even notice that kind of thing. And the reality of it is they probably do notice it and tell the other sibling. And I think that it just kind of is very important that parents involve all of their children. Like if you're not a single child or anything. Uh, so I don't know. It's just kind of weird and something to think about. I do feel like there's a lot of sort of not even necessarily favoritism, but just one child gets talked about more to the other child. So then both of them think opposite of the, each other. Like they might think that the other's the favorite just because the parent wants to brag specifically about, oh, this child made it into so-and-so college and then telling the other kid, oh, this child got banner roll or whatever. And so it could sort of create a feud aspect in that, um, relationship from sibling to sibling, even if there was previously a good relationship between them and not necessarily the two kids always fighting all the time. Thank you all, everybody, for listening to The Fast and the Fictitious. Um, make sure you listen to some of the other episodes, including the one on what we talk about when we talk about love, um, the one about the Fast and Furious movies, and we've got various other ones. Thank you all. Bye.